on this week's episode of 88 Problems in Sports Anyone, brought to you by the TheOhioSportsBlog.com. Charles and I break down big win by the Brownies over the weekend over the Atlanta Falcons, and also the Buckeyes win over the Michigan State Spartans in East Lansing. Um, Charles and I also get into a little playoff, college football playoff talk, Browns future talk, and also our favorite segment, we're going to find out who made the list. Any Problems in Sports A1 is proud to announce our partnership with at Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is your daily fantasy sports prop bet app. Download it now for iOS and Android. Go to our Twitter page at 88PromsSAO and pinned to the top of our page is a link. Get $10 for free when you sign up uh, for with Thrive Fantasy. Play your prop bets. They are going fast. It's a great partnership. Go to our, our Twitter page at 88PromsSAO. Go to the link. Get your $10. Get a bet on some prop bets. And let's win some money. 88 Problems of Sports A1 podcast is brought to you by NCSD Apparel. They can be found on Twitter at NCSD underscore apparel. They were established this year in 2018. They make t-shirts from the 330. Represent Northeast Ohio everywhere you go with shirts from NC Sports Design. You can shop now at ncsportsdesign.com. They have a promo code NCSD new at checkout. Get 20% off your purchase for any new followers. That's NCSD new at checkout to get 20% off your purchase if you're a new follower. They have a great new shirt. Go to their Twitter site right now. They have a shirt. They have a Muni Lot shirt. I'm ordering this thing, getting 20% off right when we're done by entering the code. N-C-S-D-N-E-W at checkout. All right, Charles, big weekend this weekend. The Buckeyes will go up to East Lansing, get another Big Ten win to keep themselves in contention for the playoffs and the Big Ten title as they uh, head down the stretch here. Um... Michigan State proved to be a little bit difficult. Uh, it was nine to three or nine to three at one point in the fourth quarter, but or third quarter. But um, you know the Buckeyes ended up pulling away with a couple of late touchdowns, seventeen points in the fourth quarter. So uh, you know the wins doesn't have to be pretty anymore; it just have to be wins. Uh, Buckeyes played pretty well overall, I thought. Yeah, definitely. Um, as you said, all as you've been saying all year, you know, survive and move on. And I absolutely loved what the Buckeyes did. Um, I've, I've been saying that I've been looking for improvements each game since their Purdue loss. And against the game against Nebraska, I took a positive out of that game. They got the run game going. Well, here, this what what they still needed to do was show that they could play good defense and good on special teams. And they, the special teams played absolutely spectacular. Uh, Drew Christman had that one really bad first punt, but after that, you know, he his punts and then the, the coverage on those punts absolutely pinned uh, Michigan State offense that looked absolutely inept in this game. Um, 
you know, um, the, and the defense, the defense made plays. You know, they they didn't let Michigan State get big plays on them. You know, um, they held them to field goals. Um, they got key stops. They they looked good. They were getting pressure on the quarterback. They were getting pressure on the running. They're stopping the running back. You know, they didn't they didn't allow any huge plays. And I love seeing that out of the defense. You know, they had to make um, some changes to the scheme. And you've seen that. And the Buckeyes are starting to play their best ball now at the end of the year. And that's important at this time around because the committee has shown that um, they value how you're playing late in the year. And if the Buckeyes continue to make improvements like they have in this game, you know, the sky's the limit for them. Yeah, they they played pretty well. They made Michigan State through the ball 48 times yesterday. Anytime you make a Michigan State team throw 48 times, you're going to be pretty in pretty good shape. Their top two rushes, I, I mean, this probably has never happened in Michigan State history. Their top two rushes were their two quarterbacks who combined for nine carries and 53 yards. So, I mean, their their offense, as you said, was pretty inept. Um, they broke the 200-yard mark, but, I mean, just barely. So the defense played pretty well. Um, I don't know if that was a, a, a sign of Ohio State's defense getting better or just Michigan State's offense's I mean, maybe one of the worst in college football. You know, I, I, I honestly think it was a little bit of both. You know, yes, Michigan State, I, I, I said, they have an inept offense. But the Buckeyes proved that they can make adjustments. You know, the linebackers were making plays. They weren't getting um, – you, were, you weren't seeing the linebackers being um, uh, put on to slot receivers, you know, because they were playing too close up to the line. I mean, they did – I think they did play close up to the line like they normally did. But you didn't see them get stuck on slot receivers, you know. You saw the secondary make some plays. I mean, Brendan White has has, has been an absolute breath of fresh air back there. Um, he's absolutely taken over the job as the other starting safety safety opposite of Jordan Fuller. Um, and I just read a tweet from Bill Landis. Um, this is an insane stat, but Brandon White is ninth on the team in tackles, and he's only started two – or he's only – started one game and played in at least two. So that that's absolutely insane. Um, you know, and you could say that's a testament to how horrible the Ohio State defense is. I actually like to think of that at how good Brandon White is. Um, so, you know, the defense played really good. The special teams was absolutely spectacular. Um, and the other thing, too, is Mike Weber. Mike Weber, you know, it was J.K. Dobbins against Nebraska. And then this, this game, it was Mike Weber. You know, we just – as long as we can get one of those two guys going, this run team can take us pretty darn far. Yeah, they, um, they have a two-headed monster in the backfield. Dobbins went for 160 last week, uh, and Weber went for 104 this week. So, I mean, they have a two-headed monster. You can't take both of them away. Haskins was 24-39. Uh, um, not the uh, outstanding numbers he was putting up earlier in the year when he was putting up 400 yards, but uh, still – um, you know, he threw for 227 and a touchdown. Still a pretty good day because Michigan State's offense may be terrible. Their defense is pretty pretty darn good. Um, they got some guys on that defense that can play. So, you know, the Buckeyes did what they needed to do to advance. Um, and, you know, Haskins had a pretty decent day. He was under a lot of distress. I think that's one place he definitely needs to work on if he's going to take it to the next level is being able to throw out of a uh, dirty pocket, if you will. Um, because he throws his money out of a clean pocket, but when he gets a little pressure on him, starts to get a little rattled in that pocket. So, 
Um, Michigan State put a decent amount of pressure on them, but then when Weber and Dobbins are able to carry the ball 36 times for 132 yards combined and a touchdown, that's that's very important for uh, the Ohio State offense to be able to keep uh, keep ahead of the chains. Yeah, exactly. You know, I've been saying that the last last uh, few games. You know, that Haskins has not been great under pressure. Um, he did. It did seem like he started to show a little bit better in that game. Um, you know, and I think another thing that we've said is he's had stone feet. I honestly think, and this is an interesting comment because I was talking about some with somebody about this on Twitter. Um, you know, it, I don't think it's that Haskins can't run. I think that he's been afraid to run. And there was a couple runs in this game where he showed that he actually can run. He's just been afraid to run. You know, he's not he's not by any means JT Barrett or Braxton Miller. No, I mean, but he he can run a little bit like Cardell Jones did. Um, so he's got some mobility in him. And, you know, that's another thing that he has to do is if he if he sees that, you know, I mean, you don't you don't you don't want to put you don't want your quarterback putting himself in harm's way. But if there's an opening, you got to see him take it, you know, um, in order for the run game to work, you know, um, at least in Ohio State stance, you know, the quarterback needs to at least be somewhat of a threat. And, you know, um, it's proven that uh, he, he's proven so far that he's not a threat with his leg. But I saw some really good things out of him in this game. Um, he definitely needs to improve, but Haskins is definitely um, on his way to still having a great season. Yeah, and Haskins, like, he doesn't need to be, like, Braxton Miller was a dynamic runner. Um, JT Barrett was a good runner, whereas Haskins needs to, needs to improve his mobility to the point, like, maybe not even the Cardell Jones uh, type, but at least where he can take off and get seven or eight yards and get out of bounds um, consistently when, you know, when he's flushed out of the pocket or gets a running lane for a first down to pick up a key first down. Um, that would be humongous for the Buckeyes offense because right now they're pretty much – defenses are pretty much teeing off because he's just standing in the pocket. And um, him being able to, to scat um, – to get out of the pocket to scramble a little bit will also help him downfield when he gets out of there if he can throw in a run down the field to those receivers because – if they can break open off of the uh, scramble drill. Exactly, because you know what? Uh, what ha- with, when Haskins shows the ability to run, you know, it, it, it gives the defense something else to look at. Anytime they've tried to run those uh, quote-unquote option runs with him, defense has known exactly what he's going to do. Haskins isn't going to run the ball. He's going to get handed off, so the defense can just go right to the running back that's back there running it, whether it's been J.K. Dobbins or Mike Weber. So, you know, if he can prove that he can, like you said, get six – seven or eight yards on a run, you know, that's going to open so many things up, Um, you know, and that's another thing too, you know, um, running, a running quarterback has been important to this offense. And, you know, Ohio State fans, you know, have said, oh, we need a passing quarterback. We need a passing quarterback. And now that we have one, we're all clamoring for another running quarterback. I don't think it's that we need a running quarterback. We need a quarterback with some mobility. And it's like you said, if Hassan's can get six to seven to eight yards, he can do great. And also, what I like um, was putting in, bringing in Tate Martell to put a new wrinkle in this game. He is an absolute dynamic runner. I mean, he's probably Braxton Miller level, if not better. Um, you know, um, this guy is going to be the starting quarterback once Haskins leaves, and whether that's next year or the year after. Um, you know, Tate Martell is—he's an absolute playmaker, and he needs to be involved in this offense. And if we can get uh, get him on the level, if Meyer can use him like he used Chris Leak and Tim Tebow um, back in 06 um, at Florida, you know, 
this this offense can do so much more. Yeah, looking ahead, they have uh, Maryland this week, and then of course after that, the big game against Michigan at home. Uh, Michigan nine one, ranked number four in the playoff rankings right now. Um, just looking ahead, you know, Ohio State still has everything they need in front of them. They that big showdown with Michigan. They'll roll Maryland this week. Uh, then they going into Michigan, have Michigan at home for for the big game there. So that'll determine the Big East champ, the Big Ten East champion. Go to Indianapolis and have to play a Northwestern team, who is going to be scrappy in the Big Ten championship game. But whatever, whoever wins the Michigan Ohio State game should beat Northwestern, and that team probably will get into the. Uh, college football playoff when it's all said and done. Yeah, um, I, I, you know, they're going to – it's definitely – the winner of the Ohio State-Michigan game definitely gets Northwestern. Um, you know, uh, Northwestern is definitely a scrappy team. Um, but I could see this more in the mold of 2014 where um, Ohio State was playing their best ball at the end of the year, which is what they're starting to do, and then, co- then coming into the Big Ten championship game and absolutely throttling their opponent. So I could see them throttling Northwestern – um, like they did in Wisconsin in 2014, where it was 57 and nothing. I could totally see that, um, you know. And you know, just to get back to Tate Martell, he just adds a different wrinkle to this offense that we we are missing this year, and we we badly need it, you know. Because like like we both said, you know, Haskins hasn't has. I mean, he hasn't ran, he hasn't shown the ability to run, but I think he has the ability to run. I think he's just been afraid to run. So, you know, it's going to be interesting going forward. And side note, I will be at the Maryland-Ohio State game live. So, I'll get to see um, Ohio State make improvements up close. There you go. Being being in the the stands for a Buckeye game is always a great thing. Um, Looking at this week's college football playoff rankings, it doesn't look like anybody – the top ten pretty much held serve. Alabama won, Clemson, Notre Dame, Michigan, Georgia – Oklahoma, LSU. Oklahoma scraped by uh, a scrappy Oklahoma State team in Bedlam, 48-47. LSU uh, scraped by the Arkansas. Washington State won. West Virginia won pretty handily. And the Buckeyes won. So the top ten probably stay uh, the same tomorrow um, in the college football playoff rankings. But like we said, you know, either Alabama or Georgia is going to lose. We're hoping it's Georgia in the SEC title game because – we don't want, we don't know what the committee will do with a one loss Alabama team, and then uh, Oklahoma and West Virginia have to play at least once, maybe twice. So um, you know a lot of these teams ahead of them, and I just see LSU dropping as the weeks go by, and teams behind them start winning because Washington State's got big games coming up. Um, LSU's got two losses, so they're going to probably drop, and you know so this college football playoff is going to take care of themselves. Uh, up, you know, in the top four by the end of the year. Yeah, um, if LSU doesn't drop um, out of the top ten after um, Ohio State got a big win against a team that the College Football Playoff Committee ranked as 18th, you know, they've shown that they value um, ranked ranked wins. Um, so, you know, let let's really see if they do that. Um, I'll address uh, L- the LSU thing a little bit more later here in the podcast. But, you know, um, if, if they don't drop, you know, it's absolutely absurd. But anyways, you know, um, I, can, I, I think the top ten will change up a little bit this week. Um, you know, we saw the AP poll and the, co- and the coaches poll uh, change a little bit. I'll also address that later. Um, 
But, you know, like, like you said, we, we want to see Alabama win out because, you know, if Alabama loses, you know, it, 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 I think they still get in um, to the playoffs. And if um, that's, that's going to put two SEC teams in because I think at this point, the only team they're going to lose to would be Georgia, and that would be in the SEC championship game. Um, you know, um, we want to see Notre Dame win out because Notre Dame, um, at, I think Notre Dame uh, could still get in even if they lose at one point, depending on who they lose to, um, considering they have a win over a Michigan team that is absolutely playing their best football right now. Um, I think we might have to see Oklahoma slip up once or West Virginia slip up once because th- those are the two teams that worry me right now. Yeah, best best scenario probably for the Buckeyes would be Oklahoma and West Virginia splitting because they'll play in regular season – then they'd have to play in the Big 12 Big championship game if they, you know, if they both keep winning out. So if they split that, they'd give them both two losses, and that would definitely knock them out. Um, now you'd be looking at and, and just this is all predicated on Ohio State winning out. Now you're looking at the only team ahead of them would be in Alabama, of course, being Georgia in the, in the SEC championship. Now the only team ahead of them now would be Washington State. So that's a tough one against Washington, but their Pac-12 title game will be, I mean, it'll be against some team that probably can barely walk by that time. So, um, yeah, the only team ahead of them, all these teams will shake out. The best scenario would be Oklahoma-West Virginia splitting those two games and uh, Georgia getting beat and then hoping the committee will take the Buckeyes went over Michigan uh as a better win than anything Washington State has. Yeah, you know, that uh, that Purdue loss is looking a lot like the Iowa loss from last year right now. Um, I think the only positive from that right now is that I think it happened earlier in the year than the Iowa loss did last year. Um, you know, um, and that, that, that could be an anchor that weighs on the team. And right now in the, in the polls, it's proving to be an anchor for them. So, you know, we can let's let's just hope that it doesn't and that the committee, you know, holds true to what they valued over the years. And that's ranked wins um, and good wins over ranked teams, you know, because um, I, I think this, this win over Michigan state is big, but I think a win, uh, definitely a win over Michigan is going to be even bigger. Um, and let's hope that they value a conference championship this year too. Cause you know, they haven't shown consistency with valuing conference championships. Yeah. Um, they've, the committee is kind of all over the place. I'm not sure what to think about them. I just looked at Washington State's schedule, and they got beat by their losses to, uh, which will be a five and five, maybe six and six USC team. So I mean, but it, I mean, it was a little closer than what the uh, it was 39-36. Is a little closer than what the Buckeyes got beat by Purdue, but um, they're both on the road. So there's a lot of similarities there between the two the two games. Um, so the committee could have a, a battle. If, if Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame all hold serve, Ohio State wins out, Washington State wins out, the committee will have themselves quite the conversation to fill that number four spot in the college football playoff rankings. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting going down the, stretch, uh, down the stretch the next few weeks to see um, what the committee decides and whatnot. Um, I look forward to uh, just – Watching more Buckeye football, I'm excited about the Maryland game this Saturday. Um, hopefully looking forward to seeing another um, Buckeye win. You know, last time I went to the game, 
went to a Buckeye game. It was 2014. They played Navy in Baltimore. So I'm 1-0 at Buckeye games. Hopefully continue to go 2-0. That being said, you know, let's move on to the uh, Cleveland Browns, um, Charlie. They they looked wonderful in this game. You know, I, I had a good feeling all week about this game. I, I maintained, you know, that the Falcons defense was hot trash. Um, and if the Browns played like they did offensively against Kansas City, they could win this game. Um, and lo and behold, that's what, exactly what they did. Your thoughts? I mean, just this game was like watching an entirely different team from the first seven or eight weeks of the season. I mean, if you look at, I mean, just think of the think of the draft John Dorsey had this year. He got his number one quarterback, who was seventeen of twenty for two sixteen and three TDs. He had one hundred fifty one QB rating, which is the highest of any rookie quarterback of all time with 20 pass, 20 pass attempts. Uh, Nick Chubb was the 35th pick overall. 20 carries, 176 yards, 92-yard touchdown, 8.8 um, eight, eight yards of carry. Then he's also got his lockdown corner in Denzel Ward. I mean, the Brownies are finally doing what we all, we all thought they could do all year long. And, I mean, Todd Haley, someone should – I mean, I don't know. Duke, the fact that Duke Johnson is just now – He's got three touchdowns in two games with Freddie Kitchen, Kitchens calling the offense and uh, had no touchdowns with uh, Todd Haley calling the offense. So I'm not – like, Todd Haley, I mean, I don't know. I don't even know what to say about him. He's gone. I'm not, I'm not going to talk about him. But Duke had seven touches yesterday, 46 yards in the touchdown. I mean, the guy's just a weapon that we weren't using. Even when we were down receivers, we just weren't getting him the ball at all. But, um, you know, now he's got three touchdowns in two games. The Duke has revived. So, I mean, that game yesterday was just great to see. It was a complete, a full, complete domination. There was really never any, never felt any game pressure from the Falcons. I mean, we just took it from them, essentially. You know, right from the start, we went right down the field, drove, scored, 28-yard touchdown pass to Rashard Higgins, um, and then just rolled from there. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, you know, this offense has looked great ever since Freddie Kitchens took over. You know, Duke getting involved has been one of the biggest things that has been one of our biggest complaints this year. And he is, and Kitchens is using him like he hasn't been used before. You know, we're we're seeing the Duke that we saw last year and the year before. You know, you know, he, he's getting out in space. You know, he's making plays, scoring touchdowns. You know, um, you know, and 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 Chubb. Chubb has just been magnificent since um, since we traded Carlos Hyde. It just goes to show you that you know that that Carlos Hyde trade, and I think I've said this at nauseum several times. You know that was the right move from the beginning. I mean, Chubb's is already over 500 yards right now. He's averaging 6.3 yards per carry. Um, he only needs to average at least 70 yards per game to finish the season with over a thousand yards. Think about that. He's only started what two or three games, and yeah. he could get yeah, exactly. So, and we're gonna be going into we're going into our bye this week. So we're so we'll come back week twelve, and he could have a thousand yards with only with less with twelve games. I was it twelve games played or what? Twelve games yeah. started. Yeah, exactly. So you know that that's amazing in itself, and then you know. Baker posted the highest quarterback rating um, in team history since since Brian Sipe in 1978 with a 151.2 rating. Um, that's insane. I mean, he was completely efficient, but he wasn't just efficient. 
I mean, he was throwing darts out there and making plays. I mean, that touchdown pass to Rashard Higgins was absolutely crazy. It was crazy, you know. I don't even know what how else to describe it. It was crazy because you just, you know, it looked like the play was about, about to break down, and then you just see him throw this perfect pass down the field to the end zone, and Higgins goes up and grabs it, you know. And it, it just shows how far, how much – Baker has improved as the season's gone on. And, you know, Charlie, we got a franchise quarterback. Yeah, we, we definitely have a franchise quarterback. And we've been saying this for weeks. And, you know, I've been watching Twitter and other guys are saying it now, too. Now is like a huge – this is going to be a huge offense – or offense, offseason. You know, we have a franchise quarterback. We have our number one – running, our bell cow running back. We have a lockdown corner. We have a pass rusher. This is now when we have to start building the pieces that we need to start making runs to the playoffs and runs to the Super Bowl. And I know it sounds crazy if you were going to listen to this and be like, this guy's insane. Oh, we're, th- we're still 3-6-1, and one, but I'm telling you right now, this is a 3-6-1 and one team that I could see next year in the playoffs. And, not maybe, and maybe not just a wild card, maybe a, you know, a, a division, you know, division winner, they get the first round by, so they make it the division round automatically. I mean, this team right now has some talent. They're going to, you know, they're scheduled down the stretch. I mean, it was, it's it's tough, but I mean they have the Bengals coming when they come out of the bye, they have the Bengals down there. But AJ Green's going to be out till December. Then they go to Houston, which will be a tough one. The Panthers come to town. Um, you never know what you're going to get with the Panthers. Then they have the Broncos in prime time out there, and the Broncos' offense is garbage. So they can and they can score points. We can score points. It's always going to give us a chance. Then we have the Bengals again, then the Ravens. I mean, I could definitely see us winning three, you know, at least three, maybe four games. I think we sweep the Bengals and catch another one in there somewhere to get us to three to six wins. Um, and that, and to me, that's a that'd be a fantastic season, um, you know. And then we go out and get the right head coach and get this team propelled for the future. You know, um, I actually like our chances a lot against Carolina. You know, they, they've shown that they're a really good team. You know, it'll come down to stopping Cam Newton and Christian McCaffrey because Christian McCaffrey has been absolutely spectacular this year, you know. Um, but Carolina's defense is definitely beatable, you know, and with the way our offense is playing, I can definitely see that game being a win. I definitely agree with you. I think we're going to be um, – I think we're going to sweep Cincinnati. They're absolutely reeling. They just fired their defensive coordinator, Terrell Austin. Um, and news also broke that they just hired Hugh Jackson onto their staff. So, you know, a little extra motivation there to go and um, go and uh, make Hugh Jackson look even worse now that he's back with Cincinnati, you know. Um, For sure. And, and, you know, I, I definitely see us beating Denver. You know, I could definitely see this team with uh, anywhere between six to nine wins by the end of the year. You know, and I know that's absolutely insane to say nine wins. But, you know, we have some very winnable games down the stretch. Um, I also think that we could probably beat the Ravens again because the Ravens haven't been that great. Um, rumor is they're going to be parting with John Harbaugh at the, at, at the end of the year. They're not going to fire him during the season. But the rumor is, is that they're going to part ways at the end of the year. So I could definitely see us winning that game because, you know, Joe Flacco has just not looked great, you know. Um, with the way our offense is humming, I think we can beat their defense, you know. Um, and to get back to your comment about um, them being a playoff team next year, I don't think that's crazy at all. You know, um, I think I heard Jeremy Powell say this on the Orange is Orange podcast. Um, he said that the Browns need to go Los Angeles Rams next offseason. 
Um, with Baker, with Baker Mayfield, you know, on his rookie deal, you know, and as good as he is, as good as he's shown to be, you know, we, I, I completely agree. We need to go all Los Angeles Rams. We, we have the cap space. We need to go fill our holes with as much as, as many players as we can get that will make an instant impact. And, you know, just go for it for the next five years before we have to give Baker that big extension, you know, because that, that, that's, that'll just go a long way. You know, a Super Bowl in Cleveland will mean so much to this team. I think it'll mean even more than that NBA championship did. Oh, 100%. 100% it would. There's a million, they said there's a million and a half people there for the Cavs. There might be six million people there for the Browns. Um, I mean, it'll, that parade would be insane if the Browns won the Super Bowl. But I'm, um, just, I mean, just going back to that, you know, the Browns, they're going to be a a a, um, attractive destination for any coach who wants to come there because we have a proven young quarterback. We have a proven running back. Um, we also have a proven pass rusher and a lockdown corner. We have the four, you know, we have four, and we have a young left tackle who's going, who's only getting better. So we have all the pieces you need to build a championship. And John Dorsey, you know, I saw where he was given the nod. He's going to have the total control over the hire of the football coach. So that's going to be, a, you know, we got a football guy involved. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's, I was, um, you know, I was kind of uh, championing like a Lincoln Riley type or a, you know, Lane Kiffin or Josh McDaniels or Matt, Matt LaFleur or somebody like that, a younger, innovative offensive guy. But I tell you, you know, when the Bruce Arians um, said the only job he would even consider would be the Browns, that told me something that we have something here. And I wouldn't be I wouldn't be upset if Bruce Arians came, kept Greg Williams as the defensive coordinator, kept Freddie Freddie Kitchens as the offensive coordinator, and just got after it from there. I mean, I think Bruce Arians could lead this lead this team to the promised land. I completely one hundred percent agree with you. When I saw that about Bruce Arians, I was like, "Oh my god!" You know, let's let's go and get this guy. You know, let's bring him out of a retirement. You know, um, you know, because he would absolutely keep Freddie Kitchen to so far so good with it. This offense has looked amazing with him. I mean, Freddie Kitchens coached with uh, Arians for quite a few years, you know, in Arizona and stuff like that. So you know, you definitely, I definitely think he would be able to convince Greg Williams to stick around. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, the AIDS concern with Arians, I don't think that would be much of a concern because, you know, and I think what you could potentially do is you could make Greg Williams the associate head coach and defense coordinator because that could give him incentive to stay because, you know, I think people worry about him not staying. I I disagree when people say that I don't think he, he won't stay. I think he would stay. Um, you know, um, rumor is – there's there could be a potential rumor where Todd Bowles gets fired as a Jets head coach, and then we hire Arians as the um, head coach, and then he brings Todd Bowles in um, to as defensive coordinator. But you know, I just can't see that because Todd Bowles likes to run a three four system, and our our roster is built for a four three. So you know, to change the scheme defensively, I don't like that entirely. So, but um, I think bringing in Bruce Arians would be an absolute. Um, a plus move to make. Um, he is definitely one of my first choice, first choices as a head coach. You know, I was I was I was right there with you. You know, I was up there with um, guys like Lincoln Riley and 
uh, Josh McDaniels and stuff like that. And I, w- I would still love to have Josh McDaniels or Lincoln Riley. I just can't see Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma at this point. You know, I think I also think he might need a little bit more seasoning at this point. Um, Josh McDaniels, um, you know, I'm just not sure if he would be willing to come, but he would be an amazing hire. So, um, but you know, I, I agree with you. You know, I think Arians would be a great hire for this team. Well, the one, the one awesome thing about Arians is the Browns used to be a basically looked at as a disease. If you go there, it's going to be end of your coaching career. I mean, cry, for crying out loud, two coaches ago we settled for Mike Pettin, who was in high school, a high school coach three years, three years before he was a Browns coach. Um, you know, I mean, we just hired some guys that were just either retreads, guys who had you know had no no idea what they're doing as a coach, um, you know. So, I mean, just having a guy that, with the cachet of a Bruce Arian saying, this would be my the only job I would consider, I mean, just lends some credence to the job John Dorsey is doing in that front office of bringing talent in that makes this an attractive job to have um, for coaches, for big-time coaches. Yeah, it, it, it says a lot about this team. It says a lot where this team has how far this team has come. You know, for um, a guy like Arians, like you said, with the cachet that Arians has, you know, for him to say this is the only job he come out of retirement for, this job is a job that people want to have. You know, people are going to want to come here. So, you know, even if we can't, even if we don't hire a guy like Arians, you know, there's we're gonna get a we're gonna get a good head coach. You know, um, I can't for even if Greg Williams does have a good year winning out, I just can't see them keeping him as um, as the head coach. You know, because you know. Interim coaches um, do good all the time. I mean, hell, Dan Dan Campbell, quite a few years ago, went five and seven as a Dolphins interim head coach. You know, it, it, you know, interim head coaches don't often work out. Um, I I think Greg Williams works best as um, as a defensive coordinator. Um, right now, he's doing a wonderful job. But you know, at this point, you know, we're gonna get our guy, and you know. It, we're we're going to be looking forward to some really good years for the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like we're like you just said, we're going to be able to get our guy. We're not going to have to settle for, you know, whoever's left. We're going to be able to go out and be – we're going to be one of the first hires after, you know, Christmas or after New Year's Day when – after, you know, after the NFL season ends. We're going to be the, one of the first teams that hires a coach. And I thought it was a great move by Dorsey getting rid of Hugh when he did. It gives us – Gives Greg Williams six or seven games here to, you know, show us what he can do. You know, show us what how he can motivate. You know what he was doing and stuff. So it really helps Greg Williams. And if Greg Williams wants to be a head coach, I don't know if the Browns is the landing spot for him. But hopefully he can do well enough with the Browns. If he does want to be a head coach again, he can go be a head coach somewhere else in the league. I'm not sure the Browns is the right landing spot for him. But um, you know. It, it did, and then they can start that coaching search now and be one of the first teams to get a head coach, get their, like you said, their guy that they want, not somebody they have to settle for, like they did with Hugh Jackson, like they did with Mike Patton, like they did with a bunch of other guys. But you know, go get their guy and get a jump start on the off season. You know, you know, have their guys, have their staff, have their head coach in place, and build that team around Baker, around Nick Chubb, around Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, Demarius Randall and fill in those pieces where we can make a serious run to the playoffs next year and towards the Super Bowl in a couple, two, three years. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, it's a lot like what uh, we did with, when we fired Saucy last year, where um, we fired him early, 
we got out early and we hired John Dorsey as soon as we could. So we got our pick of the litter. We're going to have our pick of the litter, you know, and I, I, I think guys are going to be lining up to take this job because when you have a quarterback like Baker Mayfield, who is dead balls accurate, um, he has complete control of the offense. You know, guys love him. He is so charismatic. He, he has a lot of moxie. Um, you know, he, he's that cocky a-hole, um, but you, you love it because, you know, he's such a competitor on the field. You know, people want to be around those guys, and they're, they're, we're going to attract um, the right guy, um, and we're going to do some special things, you know. Um, like you said, I think we're going to be one of the first people to hire a head coach. Um, it's not going to be like years past where we had to settle for Mike Petten or anything like that. You know, we're going to, we're, we're going to get, like I said, we're going to get our guy and we're going to do some special things from now and to the future. Yeah. The Browns are out this week. They head into their bye week So this Thursday, Charles and I will get more into coaching candidates, coaching, uh, who are the potential coaches for the Browns will be, you know, going forward and things like that since they don't have a game this week. But switching gears, Charles, I, you know, you're lighting me up this week with text messages. This is maybe one of our favorite segments of the week. Um, I think you filled it up. It's called The List. Charles is putting people on the list, people who have screwed up, um, you know, who are not doing their job. They are getting put on the list. We have repeat offenders. We have first-time guys. We have a couple guys who are on there on Saturday afternoon. In the first half and in the second half, got taken off. So, Charles, go ahead and give us your list for the weekend. All right. So, the first pe- first um, person or persons on my list is the College Football Playoff Committee. To and, and you know, this goes straight to to put a two loss LSU team ahead of an Ohio State team. Um, I don't care that Ohio State had. Um, Played a Nebraska team that was two and six, close thirty six to thirty one. When you're at, at, when you're an LSU team who gets slaughtered by Alabama and your offense gets is absolute looks absolutely inept against that defense, they should have been knocked out as soon as they got that second loss. And to keep them in the top ten is absolutely absurd and shows a complete bias towards the SEC and a complete disrespect for conferences like the Big Ten and the Pac twelve. Because not only did they get put ahead of Ohio State, they got put ahead of a one-loss Washington State team who has been absolutely incredible this year. So, you know, the first team, the first people on the list, college football playoff committee, you just made the list. Yeah, it's the, the college football playoff committee. These, these rankings are, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how they, I don't know what their justification is for leaving LSU at seven. Um you know, eight and two, there's no reason. You're talking about power five leaders in Washington State and West Virginia and Ohio State. Um, I mean, I can see I can see LSU being maybe 10, put them ahead of UCF, put them ahead of Syracuse. But, I mean, to have them ahead of those three teams with one loss, I don't care who their one loss is. They have one loss, LSU has two losses. And, you know, I, I, I don't understand that either. So, I'm with you. College, and I think the college football playoff committee is going to be on the list. Uh, I mean, they're going to be repeat offenders going forward. Yeah, no doubt. Um, let's. Uh, do you have any? Uh, let's move. Oh on no, you filled one. you filled it up, Charles. We ain't got time for my list. You got to go. All right. So the next, we'll move <laughs> on to the next person on my list. This is an actual person, and we're going to put Paul Pierce on the list this week. Paul Pierce made a comment this week saying that this Duke basketball team 
to beat the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, I'll give him this. The, Cle- the Cleveland Cavaliers are bad. They are horrible. They are 1-11 right now. They're absolutely horrible. But to say a college team could beat an NBA team is absolutely absurd. Um, yeah, this is a program like Duke. And, yes, they have three, potentially four, NBA studs on their team. Um, but, you know, when you have a roster full of college players that are, that you know, that they have college bodies. You know, they don't have NBA bodies. Um, you know, Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett are probably the only ones who could probably, you stick them in the NBA right now, they could probably play a little bit. But you put them against an entire ro- an entire NBA roster, that's absolutely certain. It shows you how out of touch Paul Pierce is with the game. So, Paul Pierce, you just made the list. These guys are always my favorite guys about this time. There's always the guy on TV who's telling you Alabama could beat whoever it is, whoever's the worst team, the Bills or the Giants or whoever it happens to be. I mean, these arguments are absurd. Basketball is the only one I could maybe contend with that maybe if they played ten times that the team could maybe get them one time um, just because it's basketball and it's, you know, if if somebody gets hot and starts hitting a bunch of shots, then maybe they could, uh, you know, could hang with them. But, yeah, these arguments, college football, I mean, the college game and the pro game is just so different. It's just so, you know, like you said, bodies are different. There's a big difference between a 22-year-old man and an 18-year-old kid. Um, You know, very few guys, you know, your Kevin Garnett's, your Kobe Bryant, even Kobe Bryant was struggling at the beginning of his pro career at 18. You know, LeBron James, those guys, those guys are special, special individuals who can come into college or the pros at 18 and be able to compete with those guys. So, I mean, I'm with you. These arguments get old year after year after year. It's always, you know, somebody, you know, yeah, they're not a very good NBA or not a very good pro team, but they're not going to lose to a college team. So, yeah, keep Paul Pierce on that list. Yeah, you know, the Cavs have absolutely wiped the floor with them because on top of um, the body differences in the NBA game, NBA plays four quarters while the college game you play two 20-minute halves. Conditioning is completely different. Um, so, you know, that's another reason why these kids struggle. Um, the three-point shot is deeper in the NBA than it is in college, you know. Um, and if you want to look at, at, at an example of an, a, a kid who struggled immediately coming from college, Brandon Ingram of the Lakers. I mean, he was a 19-year-old kid coming from college after one year of college, and he just – he was – his body was not ready. So, you know, to say that – um, these kids can um, beat um, full-grown men in the NBA is absolutely insane. Well, then um, the other thing, like, so you're so what Paul Pierce is trying to tell you that Duke is, should should win should go undefeated in college basketball and win the whole thing and shouldn't even be close because if they can beat the Cavs as a pro team, then they should be able to wipe the floor with every college team. And I guarantee you, Duke will lose at least one game, maybe two or three, probably down. To- you know, throughout the season. Oh, they'll definitely slip up at least once or twice. You know, um, North Carolina is a good team. You know, um, and the ACC is one of the toughest conferences in college basketball. Um, and they have a bunch of young kids on their team, you know, so they'll slip up to some veteran team. I mean, I think North Carolina is a veteran team. So, you know, and, and I agree with you. That's basically what Paul Pierce is saying, you know, um, and to win that much in college basketball is incredibly hard. Um, so, you know, um, 
you know, I, I think Paul Pierce is going to be on the list for a little bit just because, you know, that, that comment is absurd. Um, but that being said, let's move on to uh, my next person on the list. Um, I, I, you know what? It's a repeat offender. Um, the referees just continue to make um, air after air each and every week. Um, there weren't any egregious errors in the Browns game. Um, Finally. You know, thank the Lord. Yeah, exactly. You know, I was absolutely surprised we didn't get screwed in that game. Yeah. Like the Chubb yeah. run, when Chubb made that 92 yarder, I was looking everywhere for flags. I thought for sure something had to have happened. But I was holding my breath for a holding call on that because, you know, it seems like every time Chubb had broken like a big run over the past few weeks, it got called back for a holding call. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, um, early in the Ohio State-Michigan State game, it didn't turn out to be anything, but um, it was the one play where they, uh, where Michigan State had went for it on, uh, or no, it was third third and one, and um, they took forever to call the play dead. Um, Michigan State ended up going for it on fourth and one. No, no, it was a fourth and one play. They took mm-hmm. forever to blow it dead. And they ended up giving Michigan State the first down. And if you had looked on on the play, if they had called it dead when they were supposed to, they didn't get the first down. Um, it didn't end up being a big play because Ohio State ended up um, holding them to a field goal on that drive. And, you know, nothing was said. But still, the fact that these errors are still being made at this point in the college season and NFL season is inexcusable. Yes. Um, the officials are – I mean, the fact the fact that they play – such a huge part in deciding national playoff playoff teams in the college football playoff, you know, playoff teams in the NFL, you know, national champions in the college football. So uh, referees play a huge part in all those things. So, you know, we, they need to start either getting it right or something needs to happen because, uh, you know, there's just too many, especially that targeting call. I mean, we talked about it last week, but that targeting call, is the worst call in football. And there's no – they don't call it consistently. You know, it's costing got kids the whole game. You know, it costing you, you know, a half of – you know, second half of one game, the first half of another, or the whole game of the next game. I mean, it's just – it's ridiculous that they that the officials have that type of power that they can call make a call and a guy misses the entire game of – you know, in a season of 12, 13 games where one game is a huge – huge deal, you know, in college football. Yeah, the targeting call is probably the most absurd call in college football right now. Um, you know, because like you said, it's costing kids half a game. It's costing them whole games, you know. These kids are college players. They're already trying to learn how to tackle without hurting people. Um, and, you know, the, some of the targeting calls that I've seen have been um, absurd, you know. Um, the, what more can you expect these kids to do when players are, are, are sliding low and they're putting their shoulder first, you know, how can you call a kid for targeting for that? You know, something needs to change in that rule. Um, you know, there's, a, you know, it, I think it's honestly worse than the catch rule last year. And thankfully the NFL remedied that this year. It just, you know, it just seems like when in doubt they're caught, they're giving the guy the catch, you know, which is nice to see, you know, it's, it's, um, it's made the offense offenses, um, priority this year you know we're seeing a lot more scoring a lot more catches so you know that 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 is nice to see um but you know what at at some point you got to give these um these defensive players a break um and you know let let these college kids play you know that this part that targeting goal is absolutely absurd 
What do you got next for us, Charles? All right. So uh, my fourth and uh, final person on the list, I was going to take him off, but I'm deciding to put him back on just because Ohio State's offensive line has been so inconsistent this year. Coach uh, Greg Studwara, you're you're getting put on the list this week because you know what, um, Ohio State's offensive to to not to have our running game only um, take off the last two games is inexcusable at Ohio State. They call it the Cadillac position at Ohio State um, for our line to not get pushed against teams like Minnesota, Purdue, Nebraska, and early on against Michigan State. Now Michigan State is the top run defense in the nation. So I will at least give them that. Um, and they were able to get that push late in the half um, or late in the game, in the second half. So, but you know, they're, they're so inconsistent, you know, there's times where Haskins doesn't have any time, you know, they're just, they're, there's times where they, where they get blown up. So Greg Studwara, you just made the list. Yeah. Ohio State's been known in their entire history of being able to run the football and, their lack of being like they threw they threw the ball seventy two times against Purdue. I bet when Woody Hayes was out of Ohio State, they didn't throw the ball seventy two times an entire year. Um, you know, so for them not to be able to run the ball at all against teams is just it's inexcusable at a school like Ohio State, where they're getting four or five star recruits on the offensive line. Um, you know, so yeah, Greg Strudel, you were on the list. I mean, we need to start running the ball at Ohio State if we feel if. They think they're going to be able to make the playoff and make the uh, make a run in a Big Ten title. Yeah, exactly. You know, the run game is one of the most important um, thing. One of the more, most important parts of um, Urban Meyer's offense. Um, and in order for that to work, the offensive line has to get pushed. They have to they have to maul the defensive line. You know, and they shouldn't be um, getting beat by you know teams like um, Nebraska and Minnesota and stuff like that at the at in the trenches, you know, it's just inexcusable. Um, it just shows a, a lack of consistency in Urban Meyer staff. The coaching problem, the coaching has been an issue this year for Ohio State. It's not a question of talent. It's a question of coaching this year. You know, there's, you, I've, I've said it at nauseum, you know, that the uh, defensive coaching has been horrible this year. The fact that we're finally seeing adjustments um, speaks to that, you know. Uh, so um, let's, you know, let's hope that we continue to see improvements and hopefully um, the offensive line can build, build off of this game. Um, I got one more person to add to the list. Um, he's a late add, but I'm adding Michael Vick to the list. Um, I was watching Fox NFL kickoff Sunday, and uh, he called the Falcons to win big against the Browns. Um, and I just got—I just want to post the Trump gif, gif, gif that says wrong to him so many times because he was absolutely wrong and to call – to say the Falcons were going to um, slaughter us, it's just um, show, shows homerism um, and not actual um, breakdown of the two teams. I actually, Charles, I do have one guy I need to put on the list. Um, he's and it's, I can't believe I forgot about him because I was cracking up while reading his tweets yesterday. Former Buckeye coach, gone madman, Coach Zach Smith. He's on the list. I don't know what this crazy guy's doing, but did you read some of his tweets yesterday? Oh, I was dying of laughter at those tweets. Those were hilarious. Like this guy, I mean, he has zero hope of ever coaching anything ever again. I mean, I don't know what this guy's going to do for the rest of his life because right now he is 
first off, he was kind of marred by the scandal at Ohio State earlier in the year, which I think if he'd have let blow over for a year or two, it would have blown over. But now he's blowing up all this stuff about Tom Herman, who, I mean, who knows if it's true, but I mean, I don't know. Like, he's going off and going off on tweet after tweet about Herman cheating on his wife and doing this and doing that. And, I mean, it was just like, I mean, come on, man. I, I mean, nobody believes you. Like, Tom Herman's yeah. not responding because nobody believes you. You're Zach Smith. You're just, you're, you know, you just came out of this scandal of Ohio State. And I, I can't believe um, that this is the guy Urban Meyer stood up for and was loyal to. You know, and put himself in hot water because for this crazy guy, because I mean, this guy's obviously off his rocker. Yeah, he's definitely off his rocker. Um, you know, whether there's some truth to these allegations that um, to, of Tom Herman cheating on his wife is irrelevant at this point because right now this guy's labeled as a domestic violence abuser, whether he was convicted or not. You know, um. So, you know, to, to, to throw this stuff out, um, you know, I think we were talking about it in our Twitter chat, you know, um, it just shows how um, absolutely insane and how far he's how far he's fallen. You know, he's absolutely not going to get any more any more coaching chances. I, I, I would be absolutely shocked if he gets a, a, a job in the college or NFL game, um, you know, from this point on, you know, um, I think his coaching career is absolutely dead. And to, to, to see this, you know, it, it is kind of sad, you know, and it is baffling in the fact, in the respect to see, you know, how, why did Urban Meyer stand up for this guy? Why did he, you know, put his neck out for this guy? You know, it just shows that he does have an issue. He's too loyal to, to some guys. Um, I think the fact that he was Earl Burch's grandson had to play, had to play a big part in it. Had to. Um, um, I mean, just, if you read these tweets, like Zach Smith, like, as you said, alleged domestic abuser was essentially comparing himself as as an alleged domestic abuser to Tom Herman for cheating on his wife. And, I mean, cheating on your wife is bad. Don't get me wrong. It's not a good thing. Um, you know, but, I mean, that's between Tom Herman. Tom Herman technically not breaking any laws, not doing anything. I and mean, that's between him and his wife. And for Zach Smith to kind of, like, compare the two is, I mean, that's – to me, that's the insanity part of it. Like, it's not even close, man. You lose. You still lose. I mean, for you to call it Tom Herman at this point, and who knows what, why. I mean, the rumor was Tom Herman was the guy who broke into Bruce or uh, Brett McMurphy that it was about what Zach Smith did at Ohio State. But, I mean, who knows if it was Herman or not because uh, there's a lot of holes in that Brett McMurphy story. But, I mean, for him to go off on Twitter like that for, I mean, hours, for a couple hours, um, was just, to me, insanity. And that is definitely going to land you on the list, Zach Smith, because you need to put the phone away, delete the app, delete the Twitter app, and just go away for a little while and let everything cool down and pass by and let the next college football scandal overtake yours. All right, so you heard it here. You heard it here first. The list was jam-packed this week. Last two on the list, Michael Vick. Michael Vick, you just made the list. Zach Smith, for your insanity, you just made the list. Charlie, let's, let's finish this up. All right, buddy. Hey, Brownings are off this week. The Buckeyes are traveling to Maryland where Charles will be in attendance. Um, looking to uh, get a little tune-up in Maryland before they bring bring the, uh, the the Wolverines to town the following weekend. Join us Sunday as we uh, – or join us Thursday as we talk some 
Brown's coaching uh, carousel and break down and preview the Buckeyes-Maryland game. And also we'll have more winners. If you didn't get on the winner's bandwagon this week, Mike uh, from Woke Up Winning, at Woke Up Winning was 7-3, and 4-1 in the college game, which is insane. Um, you better get on that bandwagon. Join us Thursday, and we are out of here.